Hello, and welcome to a software postmortem. My name is Galo Carreras. I'm here to share stories from professional developers, designers, and product owners to learn from the best teacher of them all, our failures. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Brian Collazo, to talk about lessons learned as a CTO and co-founder of a software company. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Edgardo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm actually really excited because um, I met you in Code Trotters, which is like a, like a boot camp or I'm not sure how to call it, but we yeah. basically <laughs> are instructors of web development. So we both were instructors in it and I met you there. And then I learned mm -hmm. more about you in the data science and machine learning that you're also in. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, yeah. for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, uh, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so happy to. Um, my name is Brian Collazo, uh, as Edgardo mentioned. Uh, I'm basically, a, uh, I would say, I'm a software engineer by trade. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I studied uh, computer science uh, as a bachelor's degree, and I've worked as a software engineer a couple of years in the past, and now I'm leading the technology uh, at Connect Road Assistance, mm -hmm. uh, which is a company here in Puerto Rico. And, and that's sort of me, you know, in a nutshell, things I like and I enjoy. Uh, I, I honestly love to code and to, to do programming. I, I really enjoy it. And I also like teaching, uh, as Edgardo mentioned, you know, we were part of this uh, uh, academy of sorts uh, mm -hmm. for, for, for coding. And that was really rewarding to me because I, I really enjoy teaching. I think uh, it's a great experience. Yeah, I really love that experience. I think that was my first experience teaching. I, I've been mentoring some of the developers, but... Uh, but I had a lot of fun and it was really, it was something I really kept, kept looking forward and I still keep looking forward like teaching and this kind of the, yeah. what led me to this actually mm -hmm. doing this podcast. Um, cool. So Brian, I know you have a, a strong background in data science and machine learning. Can you tell us more about your education? Yeah. So I, uh, I did a bachelor's degree in mathematics and in computer science. Uh, and then I, I went on to do a master's in machine learning, uh, it, it's so it, it it is you know it so happens that I think mathematics as a pure discipline mm -hmm. uh, is a really good it, it's a really good base and fundamentals uh, for machine learning. Uh, so I think I was really grateful grateful to do that path and and, and really lucky to be able to do it. Uh, so so that's sort of my preparation in my, my academic preparation in in um in, in doing data science and in computer science. And then I, I had uh, some industry experience. I've had like two or three jobs that have involved some data science in, in some way or, or another. Uh, at, at some point after college, I, I worked for a small company in Spain mm -hmm. uh, and we were doing ad tech, so ad technology. Um, Meaning advertisement? Exactly, advertisement technology. And there's a really nice you know, basic machine learning problem there, which is, you know, giving our, our history of data, the fact that, you know, we have served this ad to this amount of users and, and you sometimes do know which user has, has clicked on, on which ad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, that's a, a really nice setup to do machine learning in which you basically train a computer in, in that history uh, to try to, and in the future, try to, to serve the most relevant ad, right, to, to, the, to the person. Yeah, so uh, you, you're working mm -hmm. on advertisement, machine learning. Basically, you have data from users being able to click and you wanted to predict which ads were going to be more successful for your, for your company. Exactly, exactly, exactly. 
per personal identifiable information is always redacted in, in these processes. Like at the end of the day, you don't really know who, who the person is, uh, but you do know you have some dimensions of data on like the device they're using, uh, some demographics. Course, exactly. Some course demographics, you know, you may know uh, he, he's a male, he's, he might, you have, you may have a broad age range as well. Uh, and you may have some course uh, geographical data, like, hey, there's from, they're from this part of Spain or from this part of Puerto Rico. So, so you have some small details like that, what device they're using, what screen size, and, and sort of you try to use those variables to try to characterize the situation as, as much as possible. Yeah, so what I'm hearing here, so, so those, for people who don't know about the machine learning world, there's, there's like different stages of, uh, you know, creating this model that predicts a certain amount of data. Um, but basically there's a phase where you're collecting data. There's a phase where you're like um, preparing the data or cu curating the data. And then you're feeding the data through a model and then teaching the like, tweaking the model to be able to predict on, mm -hmm. on what you want. So right from the bat, uh, you graduated and you went from Spain or you had some, you, you went to Spain to work on this ad, uh, ad, uh, ad intelligence, ad software. Yeah. What yeah, lessons yeah, yeah. learned did you, did you took from that? I mean, that was your first experience. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure there was, you know, some mistakes, um, mm -hmm. you know, but we can start what went well. Let's start there. What went well in that, in that uh, company? Yeah, what, what went well, I think um, uh, we, we actually, I was, uh, I think our, me and my team, we were successful in building some technology and, and some uh, uh, systems that were able to, for example, increase the, the CTR, they call it in, in this industry, the click-through rate mm -hmm. uh, of, of a couple of campaigns where, you know, we were encouraging, it was really encouraging to see that with this machine learning system, we're able to say double and, and maybe at sometimes uh, increase by like two, 3% uh, that CTR, which is many times really impactful, right? Really significant. So that was really encouraging to see. And I think that was one of the things that uh, went well. I mean, I mean, I love when success stories come from machine learning and, and you know, yeah. data sets and, you know, having data sets in a company is just it's really cool to play around with. Um, but what, what went wrong for that company if, anything a lesson learned or something that you might have done differently knowing yeah, now uh, what you do now yeah i think um uh, for for me and my experience uh in in that company uh one of the things that maybe didn't went as well or or maybe in the future i'm, I'm sure it could have gone better uh was basically my cultural uh relationship with the company mm. like that, that was that was the first time i basically did business in spanish if you will like i I studied all these computer science and mathematics terms in English and you, that's like the, the environment where you think about them, yeah. uh, but then translating it in Spanish. Uh, and, and, and also it's, it's not the Spanish that I know, which is uh, Puerto Rican Spanish, like yeah. having, having to, to do it in Spanish and, and also connecting with the people uh, culturally. I think that's something that I, probably underestimated uh, mm. the value of that it has in, on your work and your uh, and your um, relationship with your peers yeah I mean that's that's super important in any in any company their culture uh, how, how the culture and culture shock sometimes uh, yeah. impacts but uh, can you go into more detail how did that impact the your how, yeah. how did that impact your 
your success? Yeah, I think uh, m maybe I think I think the way it impacted it was um, more concretely, you know, in, in Spain, the, the way I I, I kind of received the culture over there, uh, they, they really um, it, it contrasts a lot with with the American culture that I was a little bit used to. Mm -hmm. um, basically, here European. in the United States, exactly yeah. when when you meet someone is is really often sort of the first questions that come up is like, what do you do uh, for a living or what, what's your profession over there? Um, like, if I was asked, like, what did I do for a living? Like three times that summer, it was probably a lot, you know, and, and I think th that's a contrast that talks a lot about the culture. I think over there, um, it's more about like life, life outside of work and what do you do mm -hmm. uh, maybe for enjoyment and, and just, I don't know. I know, I know that I'm still a little bit vague, Gardo, sorry about that, but I no, think that, okay. um, yeah, that, uh, uh, that place where they are coming from and, and seeing the work, uh, was just different from the way I was used to seeing it. And so, and so it's just, it's just, uh, a little bit, what is it? There's a little bit of friction in, in, in terms of how I see the work and how they see it. And so, no, I completely get um, you. I completely, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. What I'm, what I'm getting here is that. Uh, your day to day was it was riddled with uh, it was hard to work with the team basically communicate with the team on a exactly so it was really hard for you to move mm -hmm. things forward exactly sometimes um they would like start making jokes and like I don't know watch a couple of YouTube videos in the middle of work for like a, a good amount of time and 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 that was just that would like throw me throw me off a little bit um but yeah. I think it was later that I realized yeah it's part of it so. No, what would you done differently uh, now going yeah, back to I your think, younger self and say, hey, you should have done this or that or et cetera? Definitely. I, I think I would definitely would have just uh, uh, be a little bit pre prepared for that and sort of embrace that and, and, and be part of that, really. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if, if you're part of that culture and the way the company moves and the way they operate, I'm sure I would have, like, you know, engaged better with my peers and, and I, I'm sure a, a better team would have come from it. I think... There's a quote that I can probably relate to, to your yeah. story, which is something around, if you don't like something, try to change it. But if you can't change it, then change your attitude, basically. Exactly, exactly. That, yeah. that, that sounds appropriate. Exactly, exactly. Cool. So mm -hmm. what happened afterwards? Uh, your career didn't end there. I know um, you had some startups here in Puerto Rico. So what happened between there and, and what happened next? Yeah, so after finishing my, my job there in Spain, it was an internship. Uh, I went to work for us for a tech company in New York. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was there for like a year and a half. Uh, the company's called EXT. Uh, and, they, and, and that was a, a really fun experience. And, and after that, um, by that time, I had already been around you know, five, six, around seven years uh, in the United States, um, you know, mainly, ba mainly based in the United States. Uh, and me being from Puerto Rico and enjoying uh, Puerto Rico and, and this place a lot, I was already like longing a little bit, you know, coming back and, and, mm -hmm. and experiencing the island basically and being close to my family. Uh, so by that time around, around, yeah, a year and a half into this company in New York, I decided to, uh, to come back to Puerto Rico and, and sort of the vehicle of how I decided to, to do that was, was be a startup. Yeah. I mean, for those who don't know about your startup, could you share a little bit about what you started here? What kind of opportunities did you saw and, and why you did it? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was around 2000, 
15 or six, 16, sorry, if, if I recall correctly. Um, and we basically did, did a food delivery startup. You know, it, it, it's at, at this day, to this, to today, that's nothing like extremely new or, or yeah. uh, you know, there's food delivery startups uh, everywhere. Now uh, more but, present than ever with the COVID exactly, situation. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You were ahead of the time by, by that. Exactly, exactly. But at that time, uh, for us, when I was in New York, it, it was common in New York. Like we had, there were a couple of players uh, in New York. Like it was DoorDash. Uh, or... Exactly. There was DoorDash, Postmates, mm-hmm. uh, Seamless was one of the big ones that we use, part of Grubhub. And so mm-hmm. um, that was really common over there. And we were used to that service. Uh, but at that time, there was basically no players in Puerto Rico. Uh, there was no way for you to in Puerto Rico to. There was one player, but it was it was it, it was really a, an old player, and and it didn't operate at all like the like 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 the this this tech food delivery that you were experiencing uh, enable business exactly that we were using. So um, for those that that name is Lanchera, Pérez, exactly, and you mm-hmm. were not only. Uh, CTO there or tech lead, but you were yeah. a co-founder, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, the founders, uh, we were three founders. Um, we, it was me, uh, one of my freshman roommates uh, at MIT in my college, and then a high school friend of ours. Uh, so us three were the ones that basically started the company. So I, I know, I know Lonchetta is still going around. Um, mm-hmm. I, I even have one of my family order them because mm-hmm. I know you started in a very, um, in Ponce in Puerto Rico, which is mm-hmm. somewhere not in the metro area, uh, but still it was an un- un- underserved uh, area for especially these types of services. Exactly. So could you share your lessons learned as a CTO or as a co-founder right there on, on Lonchera? Like, yeah, we can start with what went well. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. A lot of learnings, by the way, on, on doing a startup himself yeah. and being close to one that I think that was a really uh what is it enlightening experience if you will yeah uh wh- what went well um well I think my learning was one of the things that went well <laughs> yeah. I think uh again that experience even if if I think it was a successful experience but even if if it doesn't uh turn out the way that you expect it to turn out uh kind of the effort that you put in and and just going through all the problems that you face in a startup, I think are really, really enriching and, and yeah. I mean, provide a lot of growth. So that one will. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sayings that we, we're, we're basically never ready to start our own company. And that's certainly mm-hmm. true in all the cases I've experienced. Um, yeah. So you're saying you, it went well because you had so many good uh, learning experiences. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm guessing they're based on stuff that went wrong. So that's yeah. my next question. What kind of things went wrong? Uh, indeed indeed yeah yeah m- many things uh went wrong for sure and and you know a lot of things went well but also i think the ones as you say i i do agree with that saying that one learns a lot from the mistakes and the things that go wrong i think one of the things that uh i learned and i in retrospect i think was really powerful for me to understand is that uh not, not everything is technology like mm. the product in a company is is not a hundred percent you know what will drive the success or not like yeah. there are these other variables that um, that are part of it, uh, like marketing, like uh, doing the unit economics right, uh, doing the business development right, hiring and, and building a team culture. Like there's so many other factors 
that I think have to have to be a good piece of you know finding the right mentors that have to be part of a successful business. Yeah. You know, I I so was many. in the mentality exactly, and, and there's a saying also about this one talk, talking about sayings. Um, when they say the classic of of build a product and they will come. Right. <laughs> that that's a classic one that I really learned uh, firsthand in in in, in Shera, that that um it's not about building a product and people will come. That's that's I would say barely half of the equation. I mean, there's a lot of other things yeah. that have to go right. I mean, you hit a, a chord with me because I've also felt that way naively that the product, once you you focus on technology, you focus on, you know, you using the latest tech stack, you know, React Native or, mm-hmm. or you use, you know, Node.js for everything or something or whatever reason yeah. to choose a tech stack. and. And that will be, you know, build the best product you can, go all in with that, and then hope that everything goes well. And that has been a learning experience for me too, um, yeah. where, as you say, there's so many variables. You might have the best product of them all, but you're not accounting for so many other things. Like maybe your product is the best in the market right at the moment, but it requires for the users to sh- change a habit. And usually people will not change it's a lot more cost it costs for them to change to a better product even though the product is better doesn't mean that the users are going to use it because they're just more used to you know doing it in excel for example yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so i know uh go ahead i I know sorry uh i know there's no uh, go ahead no you go ahead this is your show no it's uh no no not at all it's it's your show (laughs) no no you're the guest go ahead there, exactly that. I completely agree with that. And that there's, there's even a term for that. That this term I've heard it before. The they call it the switching costs. You know, yes, so sometimes people costs. Are, are are doing their thing and they feel so comfortable and accustomed yeah. to to that approach. That sort of switching to whatever solutions you're providing ha- has a cost. And yeah, indeed, 100% agree. And also the marketing. Uh, you can have the best mm-hmm. product of them all, but if you don't know how to reach the people who would who would use it or or have the best strategies on how to do it because we sometimes never we never think about that moment where the user actually sees your product in the market and how it goes by so a lot of a lot of engineers and designers we think about building the product but we never think about that day when the product sees our when, when the client sees or the user sees the product on the shelf and sees yeah. the marketing promotion and that's something like kind of the gateway decisions are made so quickly in that stage where we kind of ignore it until the last moment. And we dedicate, we invest so much in our tech, on our product, without even testing those ideas out in the market beforehand. Um, so I guess I know, I, I wanted to see if there's also, because I'm, I'm very interested and maybe some of our audience are interested in the machine learning. I know you gave a talk about machine learning in, uh, here in Puerto Rico, um, talking about your experiences in how you use data to enhance your delivery services. Yeah. Can you share that with the audience? Uh, with that, uh, how was that process like? Yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. I think in Lanchera, we had a couple uh, interesting uh, pieces of technology. Uh, one of them was, uh, I think, well, this might not be exactly machine learning, but um, I think we were really smart about uh, and I, I did again. I invested a little bit, maybe too much in this sort of things. But mm-hmm. uh, I think we're really, really, really effective about 
uh, finding the restaurants near the person. Uh, you know, with the right data structure, we're able to serve that really quickly. And um, that was, uh, I think, an interesting piece of technology. I, but another one, and I think goes more aligned with your question, I think was the whole uh, logistics parts of it. Right. right. I think uh, that's where I think we thought that um, most of the competitive advantage would be. And that's, you know, how fast can you get the, the delivery to the person's door and, and how effective you are right at, at serving a bunch of customers without, without just increasing your, your fleet of drivers uh, yeah. massively, right? So, so how to do that? Um, and, and, and in that case, in Lonchera, I think the clear application of machine learning was in terms of that logistics. Um, if you have, uh, and we sort of did some, some of this work uh, in Lonchera, but if, if you have... Um, with enough amounts of data, uh, you can build nice like distributions of of where in 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 what geographical area and in what time uh, orders seem to pop up and like to what destinations. Uh, with with enough data, right, you have that distribution of um, you know, where, where things are popping up, where things are going, uh, and so you can you can optimize your fleet effectively if you use that correctly. You're able to um, to position your drivers. Yeah. Uh, in a way to be basically, be, you know, better prepared to, to serve the demand. Yeah, I think one of the things I, I took from your talk was that you also took account of how long does food take for the, for food to take to be done, you know, ready to be delivered. Mm. Like that's mm -hmm. something you started to take um, note of in your, in your modeling and, and your predictability yeah. on how to, you know, improve your logistics. Exactly, exactly. 100%. You, you start learning, getting data and, and effectively learning uh, how long a given restaurant usually takes for this plate. Uh, because oftentimes, and we all know this, right? We all know yeah, yeah. the restaurant that um, this particular restaurant that they take a while to like do the simple plate versus this other restaurant that they're like usually extremely quick uh, serving. So, so again, exactly based on data, you can probably make better decisions. So, Continuing our topic about lessons learned, is there any particular lesson that you want to share with the audience about your space experience there as a CTO? Yeah, I think that's the main one, really. I think um, as engineers, we, I think we usually value a little bit more maybe uh, the tech part of it. But honestly, if, if, you know, if people don't know about it or, or, or you're not able to sell it correctly, if you, if you don't have the skills to be on the table with, with in our case, it was restaurants or You know, and this other business that it's, it's the one that buys your product. Right, because your audience is not necessarily that app user, but also you re you need restaurants to jump in and say, go ahead, let's do this with Exactly, exactly. Like in our case, we had we two customers, exactly the, the B2C part, the consumer mm -hmm. parts, and also the B2B part, like the, the restaurants at the other end. They're also our customer in some way. And so uh, if, if we don't have the skills, right, to, to be able to, to jump on a call and sell your software, you know, make it, make it engaging and, and doing that selling, then, then again, you might have the best technology in the world, but, but that, that doesn't speak for itself and that doesn't sell itself. Right. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is that like, uh, to resume, we yeah. as developers or engineers, we focus too much on the tech and we depend on the, we can't depend on the tech to do all the work. Mm -hmm. So we are, we need to also look at the points for, uh, marketing, uh, all the business logistics, all those other points that we can't really ignore to or or think that are the the better product would just solve all those problems. Yeah, 
Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and similar, there's another smaller maybe learning in, in those lines as well um, that I learned in, in Donchera. And that's that when you have a startup, sometimes, honestly, you don't have to like build everything all the way before you sell it. Right. Often you actually want to leverage a little bit of, of reducing the risk of, of the time that it takes to build it by trying to sell it, you know, often sell some features even before you have them, right? If you're able to do that, I think that's really powerful because if, if any, and if you know particularly, right, that you're, you will be able to deliver on that feature, right? If you pull whatever all nighters you need to, <laughs> Yeah. but um, if, if you know that and you're confident that you'll be able to deliver features, you it's can probably reduce, right? Exactly. You can probably reduce a little bit of risk by just trying to sell it um, before you even have it. Right. I think that's a really powerful idea. I mean, I, I love that idea. I love that idea. I mean, that's something I, I'm, I convince, I try to convince all my clients currently to do. Um, if you have an idea, put it out there before you invest any exactly. kind of technical depth or into mm -hmm. it. Just exactly. because having an idea might seem good to you at first, but once you put it out there and you start receiving valuable feedback, with that feedback is where you you have data to basically basically do a, a scientific approach where you gather data mm -hmm. exactly 100%. before you make any decisions not from 100%. gut feeling sometimes you you might want to do that but you always want to maybe fake it maybe fake an ad or say something yeah. that's going to be available just to get i remember watching this netflix uh docu series on gaming uh -huh. uh, it's out now i forgot the name but it was there were the doom creators the doom creators basically made a post on the on their blog post about the Doom game coming out and all the stuff that that they were gonna promise and they were just hyping their product up, but at the same time seeing how many people were interested in the game and how yeah. far they were gonna commit uh, based exactly. on that reaction. Yeah, that's that's I think that's a great way to do it. Honestly, I think it it, it just makes sense. Honestly, and it's not about like uh, maybe creating the wrong impression or like misleading someone. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's mostly about getting yourself feedback mm -hmm, yeah. about what, what is it that you really need to build or, or and, and de-risking a little bit the, the operation. Well said. So now knowing this, what have what would you have done differently on Cheddar? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, a, a little bit more of that, right? A little bit more about um, trying to knock on doors in these restaurants and trying to uh, understand them better, right? I think that that's a, an important piece. Uh, I would also would have tried to develop a little bit of my selling skills, uh, per se. I Your think, soft skills, um, yeah. Exactly, my, my soft skills and, and, and skills around selling. Uh, I think, again, oftentimes I put engineering and tech on a pedestal, but, but honestly, mm -hmm. again, in a startup environment, if you're not able to sell it, again, it's only going to get you so far. And, so, and, th and there's a lot, a lot of skills that go into being a good seller and being able to run these meetings and be able to, uh, effectively close a cell and there, there's so many dynamics that go into it a bunch of theory behind it so I, I think I would have paid a little bit more respect to that right and 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 learn a little bit more about that through the process I would also would have um, the same thing with marketing I think in Lonchera um, there was an opportunity to do a, a, a you know take more advantage of what ideas from marketing can can do to your company I think there's many things uh, there that we would have done differently. Um, and also uh, in, in a similar vein, uh, business development, that's a whole other uh, world yeah. that I think plays an important role. And that's, you know, who do you partner with 
to do business together, right? I think uh, sometimes that doesn't seem obvious, but that's a thing that people do. Like sometimes yeah. you do partner with, I don't know, X product for your driver. So you, you partner with this other, uh, maybe not restaurant, but association of restaurants. Right. And then you, so there's so many other partnerships and ways to think about the company differently that, that again, I think um, would have played a, a good role. In the- I mean, that's great. I, I think that's very valuable uh, lesson and mm-hmm. they completely resonate with me. Uh, cool. So what happened next? Well, I mean, I know you, you're, you're currently on Connect Assistance, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, before we go to there. The, yeah. And Lonchera, did you had a did you have a dedicated team, uh, developers, designers? Do you have a workflow designs? Did you have any type of day to day communications like that, or was it just you as a developer? Yeah, no, we we did not. Um, it was basically only me. Uh, we once had a really good uh, intern at some point. We actually had two two interns. Um, you know, doing doing as resource constrained as we were uh, in, yeah. in those early days. Uh, we, we couldn't quite afford that, that, that much of, of having uh, someone full-time. So we had a couple uh, interns that were able to contribute a good amount to the, the infrastructure. Uh, but other than that, it, honestly, in technology, was mostly me. So um, currently, are you working, you're a CTO, so I'm assuming you have a team, a dedicated yep. team. So can you tell yep. us what, how you transitioned from Donchera to where you currently are, uh, was like? Yeah. Yeah. So, so right now at Connect, uh, we do have a team. It's a much larger company actually that we, we, that we work on. It's, we're about um, 15 people in the technology organization. Nice. So actually Connect was actually a, a bit of a zero to a hundred for me, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, I had, again, I had had some, some small experience uh, managing interns uh, in the past, in New York, I was able to manage an intern in, in Lonchera, Copo, and then in, in Numerator, which is the company that I worked in between uh, uh, Lonchera and, and Connect. Also, but very ba- very basic uh, managerial experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Connect was a little bit of a, a zero to a hundred to me. So, you know, to so, your question, a lot of things changed. So I'm guessing there's a lot of lessons learned too, because indeed, uh, going from a self-sustained and being uh, managing yourself to managing a team of 15 people, I, I know the responsibility that it takes and, and it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> so yeah, how was that transition like for you? Yeah, it, it, it's been tough. Uh, there's no, yeah, I'm not going to, what is it, uh, cover the sun uh, mm-hmm. with my hand. It, it, it's yeah. been really tough. I think uh, doing that transition from a software engineer to a manager, um, it, it, it takes a lot of effort. Uh, and I think one of the one of the learnings that I've had in this transition, I mean, one of them because th- there's been a bunch, uh, is that you know when when you're a manager, it sort of it really it, I think it really stops being about you as a as a person. It starts becoming 100% about the team, mm-hmm. if you will. And I think the team is the one that uh, really drives the company forward. And 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 your job is is less about contributing yourself individually, I guess an individual contributor and more about empowering them and the team to be as successful as they can be. Right. So, so I think for one, there's a big shift in, in just how, how you see your work and how you, um, how you understand it. Uh, and then another one that comes to mind really quickly, uh, is that, uh, listening, it becomes a a huge part of your Mm -hmm. job and what you do on a day-to-day basis. 
I think uh, as, an, as a software engineer, um, you know, you, you can, the relationship is often more unidirectional towards you in the sense that, I don't know, they give you the work and you sort of do it. Yeah, the requirements um, and they point to a, where we want to go and you go ahead and do that. Exactly, exactly. And sort of these, these things are in place for you to like be successful. Uh, but then as a manager, uh, sort of, you know, your success metric is their success metric. And mm -hmm. so it, it's yeah. extremely important for you to like listen to your team and like try to understand uh, what is it that um, they want, they need uh, to be successful. And, and you know, there, there's a big change, I think, in, in that in that responsibility. I mean, it sounds like you, it sounds like you, you, you kind of did some preparation from, you know, to taking on this role or at least learning from experience. Did you, did you do any sort of preparation or did you read anything specifically or did you want to uh, learn something specifically as you were taking on this role? Yeah, yeah, Mo most definitely. I think uh, I usually, exactly, value preparation a lot. I think uh, I've always, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I always believe that hard work uh, before pays off. And, and so I think I sort of did something similar here as well. Uh, for this uh, changing in career, there was this one book that was really helpful for me. Uh, it was called um, Radical Candor. Mm. Uh, it's actually, uh, it was recommended by one of my previous managers at a previous company. And Radical Candor is a book about from, from Kim Scott. Uh, and she was this amazing manager at Google, Dropbox, and a couple other like top tier companies. Nice. She would also advise uh, Drew Houston which is uh, the CEO of, of Dropbox. And so okay. yeah. she, she, she was an amazing person, super well prepared. So you can definitely, she's someone that definitely knows uh, her ways around managing a team uh, effectively. And so the book is sort of like the way I saw it. It's like an interview with her and, 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 and her basically giving you advice back to back on like what to, you know, what, what were your what biggest takeaways from that book? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest takeaway, let's see, is that, um, it's important to be to set expectations and be clear with with your teammates um, in terms of uh, you know if 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 it happens that sometimes uh, one person is let's say underperforming or so mm -hmm. uh, you really don't want to to wait uh, yes. and, and let let time pass uh, until maybe I don't know like a yearly review or, or you, you really don't want to wait a, a good amount of time before you tell that person, uh, you know, what you're seeing and what, how it's affecting the team. Yeah. Basically you I don't want to ignore on the performers at all. Exactly. Exactly. Like being that upfront about that and, and attacking the problem early and quickly and, and being clear about the expectations, right. That, that you're, you're placing, you're putting in place, uh, doing that early and quickly is one of the advices she mentions in the book. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense. That's a great advice. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, that comes from experience, uh, when I was uh, also handling a team of 12, uh, we had one particular developer that was underperforming. And mm -hmm. my manager was doing exactly that. He, was, he wanted to be nice uh, and didn't want to confront it. We basically ignore it, hope it solves himself. But I yeah. kind of called it up because, uh, you know, it was, it was not only affecting his work, obviously affecting his individual work, but it was also affecting the morale of the, rest of the team as 
it wasn't clear what was expected of them and this was a behavior that was expected of him so we yeah. actually mm -hmm. took him apart and we talked to him very candidly and it turned out really great he he, he no, i mean i guess one of the takeaways from here from my experience was that he actually turned around and actually started overperforming because nice. uh, he 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 never he told he was very appreciative that he we took the time and tell him and told him what were the problems that we were having and the expectations that we had so he took that nice. feedback very valuable and and turned it around for us so I know from experience that is so valuable. It's cool, great, great to hear, and it makes sense, makes sense. So, um, working as a team, I know there's a lot of buzzwords around agile and stuff and methodologies but have you tried any of them uh, have any of them worked for you what does work for you in your current yeah. team yeah for sure uh at connect we try to follow as much as possible uh the agile uh, mm -hmm. approach of things uh we we do a little bit a little bit of, of the scrum implementation so we have uh stand-ups every day uh all, all the teams we have we organize ourselves in three teams uh based on on the products that they serve and they have stand-ups uh, every day, uh, very similar in agile fashion. Uh, they have, we have, we follow sprints of, of two weeks each. Uh, at the end of every, every sprint, uh, the team does a retrospective. Nice. You know, in, which, in which they try to learn from what went well and what went, uh, didn't go uh, that well. Basically uh, the recipe of the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The recipe of the show, I think, again, a really powerful mechanism on, uh, from the mistakes. So, so we do that at Connect. Um, and then, and also the planning, the usual planning and the unusual demo at the end of the sprint, uh, people demo their work, uh, which nice. I think is also really powerful. I, I, I never tried that, but I, that sounds very compelling. Uh, how, how does that demoing, uh, benefit the team afterwards? Yeah. So I think, uh, for one, the, the way I see it, you know, and, and we used to have these when I was at Yext in New York, um, when I was on, on that individual contributor role, role um, a demo, I think, is always great because one, it gives you a chance to like showcase your work, if you will. You know, yeah. I think that, that that's exciting for many for many people, um, and and it also like sort of motivates you uh, to finish the work right by the end of the sprint. There's a little bit of that motivation, the fact that you know they're go you're gonna be on stage with yeah. many people listening to you, right? So so that's, that works as a little bit as a forcing function for you to like motivate and and do your work effectively. So. I think yeah. it has that benefit. Um, uh, and also uh, there's a little bit of cross-pollination of information, if you will. Of, oftentimes uh, in, in bigger organizations, right? You, you, you do know what your immediate teammates are working on, but it's a little bit harder for you to know like what other teams are maybe a little bit more far away from, from yeah. your work yeah. are working on. And so yeah. a demo is like a good, a good opportunity for, for sort of for you to see uh, what they're working on and how do it, it may like, you know, fit into your picture and what you're doing and like what, what the company, what the company's overall strategy. Is. I mean, I love that because, uh, first point you mentioned, it kind of works like a, the carrot and the stick at the same time. Cause <laughs> yeah. you, sometimes I feel like when I'm in, um, where the team is doing sprints and where, um, uh, I have experiences where we haven't done retroactive um, steps to see what we're doing and especially like demos like that but the team starts losing motivation because uh, it's like, okay, I worked on this feature exactly, but it never got really acknowledged and we're just working on the next sprint. And it never, you never feel that sense of accomplishment since you're basically burning out 
without any feedback and also having yeah. cross organization teams uh, you know like the marketing team knows that there's new, this new feature this developer worked on which might help them communicate better the product which helps you as you say the the, the cross pollination of, of information exactly. it's really great so i think uh one of my last questions i i i didn't leave this for last on purpose but the okay, go ahead we were ahead. we were both instructors uh we were basically teaching people who were had no previous experience on coding or or how the web works uh, what was your learning what was your big takeaway from teaching these types of, of technology web development stuff uh anything that you can you took away from there yeah i think um let's see i think my, my learning is i guess i got to experience firsthand how, how impactful it can be Like I, I really, even when it sounds a little bit cliche and, and sometimes I know many of these programs, they talk about empowering people to change careers mm -hmm. and like start doing tech. And sometimes it sounds a little bit up in the air and, and an idea that may sound like too good to be true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then when, I, when we, when we did it at, at, uh, Code Trotters, uh, I think, I think I really saw the potential as, as a teacher to, to jumpstart the career of these people. And that doesn't mean that with like three months, right? Or, or mm -hmm. the 10 weeks that some of these programs are, you will be able to like, you know, work as a, as a, as a software engineer at, at Google or Facebook. It doesn't quite mean that, but it does definitely mean that you can jumpstart your career in tech and you can definitely get a job or maybe do your job, be more effective at your job if you're not like necessarily a software engineer, but you might be, a related discipline like a product manager or a or a designer i think i was able to like see that firsthand and we did saw a good amount of students that were able to like impact their jobs and their careers from yeah. that and i think i don't know just just learning just experiencing and learning that that is real and that that can, that can actually happen um that was encouraging for me. yeah i mean i i feel the same way it was very encouraging i, I kind of it was i, I kind of felt a little bit fulfilled to see these types of you know students having feeling empowered that they do have other opportunities and that they if they have a creative itch or they have an idea that they can put it in place or that knowing that there's tools out there that you you know i, I agree with you like three months is not enough but it, it kind of sparked those hunger that that inner hunger for them mm -hmm. to, to to achieve those goals that they might have and might felt powerless to reach out and get but having those uh having those experiences where they were learning and our tools yeah that was really fulfilling for me too 100 well i'm glad i'm glad it, it really is i think teaching is, is an amazing experience. yes i would recommend uh mm -hmm. anyone <laughs> so uh last thing um is there anything that you had in mind to talk about lessons learned for any software developer engineer or product owner that we might not well, covered here um Well, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. When, when I saw the word uh, postmortem on, mm -hmm. on, on the show, it, it, it brought me a little bit of, you know, PTSD on a couple of experiences that we've had on, <laughs> on, on, on software products. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it brought, it brought a, a little bit of those scary, scary memories. So mm -hmm. I, I did thought we were going to potentially dive in a couple of those, and I was a little bit scared of, for it. Um, there's, so, there's so many, a little bit more uh, learnings just in technology uh in that area that 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 i really do think that honestly my failures have probably been as you say the biggest teacher I've, you know i've gone through that and so 
I, I, I thought we, to answer your question, uh, I thought we, those may have come into place <laughs> in the interview. Oh, nice. So yeah, I usually, software developers or engineers, when they hear software postmortem, they think about <laughs> specific incidents that brought the yeah. database down or the production value exactly. down. Exactly, exactly. Um, I guess we could go into those details, but I guess there, there's so many experiences that I know you, you had that we just went over them quickly. Yeah, uh, for sure. But no. this has been really great. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, and I think some of those learnings, right, in, in more like entrepreneurship type uh, setting, right. Uh, many, many of them are like transferable to many other di disciplines, like the learnings themselves. So I think, yeah, many, many of them are really powerful. Yeah. I guess some, in some, maybe another interview, we can go ahead in details about those specific technical stuff, but this for has sure, been great. Sure. Um, Brian, um, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, about me? Well, um, I have my LinkedIn. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe maybe if you search Brian Collazo Santiago, that's my second last name. Maybe uh, you may be able to come across me. And I think that's about it, about online presence. I don't think I have too much more other than that. Um, yeah. I mean, perfect. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks to you, Edgardo. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for me today. Uh, I'm Edgardo Carreras, and I hope you join me again for next time for the Software Postmortem.